Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The offside rule, we get it, is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Offside Rule. We get it brought to you by Continental Tyres. We're in our third season. It's episode 29. At the moment, we're sat in a football writer's house not too far from Highbury and the Emirates. I'm going to leave you a few seconds to try and guess who we're joined with. You could literally walk round the corner and into the arms of Arsene Wenger on match day. <laughs> Very pleased to say we're joined by The Guardian and The Observer's football writer. She also writes for BBC Sport and is uh, uh, generally... Uh, very knowledgeable about not only all things Arsenal, but all things the game, and flying the flag for female writers in the game as well. It's Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy. Hello. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Welcome to my humble abode. <laughs> well, very nice to be at Amy's uh, abode here. How far is it to the Emirates? It, it can't be more than half a mile, right? No, it's um, it's a it's about a seven minute walk, so it's not very far um, uh, to get round to the the media entrance, which is the far side of the stadium from where I am. It's uh, I have to add a little bit more for going around the concourse but I can pretty much uh, you know tell someone to put the kettle on and uh, when I'm leaving and and I'll be back inside for a nice ready hot brew (laughs) now that is what I call the ultimate in comfort and joining us in this uh, little trio today is our very own Hayley McQueen hi Hayley welcome to Arsenal land yeah thanks (laughs) battling it out for second spot in the Premier League with my Manchester United Everyone would have laughed at us if we'd have said that a month or so ago. But I tell you what, it's hotting up up there. Well, I'm laughing about this because, of course, United usurped my team, Liverpool, at the weekend. We're about to play Arsenal, so I almost feel kind of threatened here, kind of ganged up upon. Uh, so the season's, uh, season's gathering a pace, not many games left. And, of course, we've seen, uh, if you look at the form tables, that the likes of uh, Arsenal are doing well. Liverpool, until uh, the last game, doing, uh, doing well, too. So I've just wondered whether there's any assault on the title. We, we, we've all kind of thought it's sewn up for Chelsea for so long now, but it's not out of the question that uh, a couple of other contenders may well take that spot. So we're going to be talking about that in today's podcast. We're also going to be speaking moments of madness. Gerard's 38 seconds in of madness uh, caused... Um, well, it's, it's actually a real shame. It's um, going to blight the end of his career, really, isn't it, that, I think? It, well, it's, um, it's an, it was an astounding thing to witness. Um, I can't imagine probably what was going through the the minds of the Liverpool supporters seeing that because, you know, symbolically everybody knows what he means to Liverpool and for him to come in, uh, into that game in that situation where Liverpool needed galvanising, who better? You know, one would think in, in a derby of that nature and that heat than Steven Gerrard. And uh, I don't know, I, I, it's very interesting because probably when you reflect overall on his career, you can... There are, there are these very extreme emotional moments for him. Um, you think about that goal in the cup final uh, or, or against Olympiakos, those very sort of significant loaded goals that he had um, th- where you can sort of, in your mind's eye, see him wheeling off, like completely coursing through with, mm. with the emotional sort of magnitude of, of, of some sort of positive achievement. And then there's the other side of him, the flip side of that doom kind of almost confused face furrowed brow of the moments that have gone horribly wrong yeah. for him um so it's it is quite strange because he's you know i guess that's the consequence of playing 
every game with that sort of heart on the sleeve yeah. um, emotion and feeling, which is really what he's always been about. And I, I wonder if in future, the way that we cosset young players coming through nowadays, whether we're going to be producing that many more players who have that in them, you know, for good and for real. So we're going to be discussing more moments of madness later on as I ask Hayley and Amy to recount some other moments of madness in the game. Uh, we're also now just into a new WSL season. So you'll be hearing from some WSL players throughout the podcast today uh, as a nice warm-up for the season starting. The female take on football. Let's have a quick chat to um, Amy, first of all, on uh, what it's like for her as a female sports writer and, um, and how she enjoys working in the game as well. How many years experience now, Amy? Uh, thanks for asking. <laughs> um, uh, it's, a, it's 20 years yeah. uh, now. I think my first job in football was... Actually, it's more than 20 years. Maths was never a good, uh, good part for me. Uh, 1994 was my first job. Um, I was sort of fairly recently graduated, finished studying, did a year or so of really rubbish work, anything that would sort of pay the rent, um, some mind-bogglingly boring stuff at that point in my life and was just really keen to at least attempt to try and find a way of um, making a living that was in in any way interesting. And um, I just applied to a job that was advertised, funnily enough, in The Guardian at the time. And it was a, a the, it was a magazine that didn't exist at the point called 442. And they were recruiting to, to launch the magazine. And uh, incredibly, because I didn't have much experience, uh, I got offered a position on their launch team. But the downside was that in order to get the first edition out... Uh, I had to forgo going to the World Cup in 1994 in the USA. Mm. I'd gone to Italian 90 over land and sea and uh, an incredible journey with a couple of mates uh, to to, to watch that World Cup, which was one of my all-time highlights as a football lover. And um, I was quite miffed to have to miss out on USA 94 because I kind of had it in my mind that I wanted to try and get to Mm. every World Cup. Anyway, I, I, I was immensely fortunate to get the break on 442 so yeah that was 1994 and uh been incredibly fortunate to to be you know around the game since then there still aren't enough of you around though are they we need to duplicate you times <laughs> times 10 I think because despite the rise in female broadcasters sports broadcasters and they're Arguably, still isn't enough of those doing doing the high profile. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> it's a very small pool, um, but we could argue that, that that there perhaps aren't enough female sports broadcasters doing the higher profile gigs, and that's obviously yeah. where that's got to go to. But listen, you know, we don't have enough female sports writers even out there doing the routine stuff. Forget about the glamour gigs. Let's just talk about you know um, you know women female sports writers on the payroll. I think what's interesting is that the numbers haven't actually changed in that 20 years. Uh, And when I first got my break, um, there were, uh, you know, a handful of others. And it's pretty much that same handful. And there hasn't been, you know, much of an influx since. And I do think that overall in that period of time, you've seen great strides. They're now talking about, what, one in four uh, Premier League um, spectators being female, which Mm. is pretty fantastic, I think, as a statistic. Obviously, when you watch football, or or generally I think you see more women around the game Mm. in all sorts of uh, uh, departments, whether it's administrative, uh, whether it's on the media side, albeit not necessarily writing as we are. But that 
beat of writing about football. The other day I was at a game and Vicky Allweiss of The Sun and Alison Rudd of The Times were, was there and we were all there together and we actually took a picture. It was, uh, it was like, look, look, we're all together in the same place and we figured out that we had more or less, you know... Um, the same years of collective experience, I know 60-odd years of football writing between us, probably still not quite enough to match Brian Glanville on his own, but <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it, it was good anyway. Well, if anyone's listening out there, girls, uh, get yourself onto a sports journalism course. Start writing. And in fact, actually, this is why I love this podcast and I like working with the Offside World and, and why we set it up, just to jump on my little soapbox for a minute, because we've got some great female writers um, on our website and um, uh, you'll, you'll read about everything from, um, from the lighter side of football to the more serious uh, side of football via the website and you'll read some great females there as well. And, and males too, you know, it's important to keep talking about good football reporting and good football writing. But yeah, we'd like a few more girls, please. Listen to the Offside Rule We Get It on Audio Boo, iTunes and via our website. OffsideRulePodcast.com Let's go to our first topic, ladies, late charge. We've already spoken about how you know, it isn't impossible for Chelsea to be usurped of that title and there's quite a bit of criticism around that this is the weakest Premier League season in years. But it could hot up to be something quite special. So if we look at the how, the how the table would stand if we started the league at the beginning of this year, Arsenal would be top, then Liverpool, United, Chelsea would be down in fifth, which is a bit of a turn-up for the books. If form was maintained, so if we carry on as things are running at the moment, Chelsea would top the table, so no change there, but Arsenal would creep up into second. So, Amy, could Arsenal make a late charge for the title? Frankly, I can see what you're getting at, but... <laughs> I also don't really think anybody but Chelsea is going to win this league. I think the the moment of possibility came and went probably when Hull got back to 2-2 uh, on the weekend because that phenomenal start from Chelsea made it look like they were back to business as usual. And uh, I think everyone thought, oh, right, that's it then. You know, put your feet up and sit back and wait for Chelsea to win the league. And then suddenly... That you know they seem to go to pieces, and that on the back of dropping points against Southampton and the Paris Saint Germain disappointment made you suddenly think, okay, perhaps they're mm. going to run out of steam. But the fact that they managed to turn that difficult situation into three points away from home probably tells you everything about how this season's going to finish up. I, you know, anything can happen, and the fact that the top teams have still a few of them got to play one another in very significant fixtures mm. does open up that window of opportunity but I still think it's a pretty tiny window looks better for United even better than a couple of weeks ago it does if you just said like I mentioned about last month if Arsenal and Manchester United would be gunning up there uh, attempting to try and even knock Chelsea off top spot that's not going to happen but even just second spot I was thinking you know six seven weeks into the season we'll be lucky with the Champions League spot again now I wouldn't settle for anything obviously anything less than fourth but I'm kind of aiming for that second spot now okay there's Manchester City still in there but I've got to be very optimistic Manchester United only for the second time since Louis van Gaal has been in charge has started with the same uh, 11 he liked what he saw at Tottenham it was an emphatic win obviously bragging rights as well against Liverpool and a really good performance and a few of the players are just starting to play maybe a little bit too late but things are looking a lot more confident I was really excited about Juan Mata even Marouane Fellaini who had completely written off altogether slightly disappointed Di Maria was on the bench I thought he might start I understand why he didn't because of that pace it was needed in the big game against Liverpool 
one thing I will actually say, I was really disappointed Gerard was sent off. I always like to see 11 against 11, but we'll go into that a little bit later. No, no, but I think it's, it is a shame. Yeah, I, I was I had a little smirk on my face, but I did think it, it is, a, especially when he is, like, I appreciate him as a great player. I think yeah. he is, he's not my hero, but he's a hero and he's a role model. And I think it's just really sad how that has ended, the last game he'll ever play in against Manchester United. But obviously I was delighted with the win. And you kind of saw on social media as well after, Afterwards, all the players tweeting pictures in the dressing room on the bus, just how delighted they were with the win. And not just for bragging rights, obviously, beating Liverpool. I think they're even starting to believe in themselves. Even though I am feeling very optimistic at the moment, I've got to remember that United still have to play City and Chelsea. And then after that, towards the end of the season... Arsenal. I still think Chelsea will finish top. If I'm being realistic, I think Manchester City will finish second. I think Arsenal and Manchester United battling for third. I'm going to go Manchester United. Liverpool aren't in it and Southampton. Gone. Okay, so Manchester United with the most difficult really uh, run into the end of the season. Let's take some inspiration. I'd like an example or two, ladies, of a team who's made a late charge for the title. Maybe it's worked, maybe it hasn't, maybe they've just missed, but give us an example. Let's give United Arsenal fans some hope. Amy? There's a couple that spring to mind. I think the um, the, 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 the very kind of dramatic... Kevin Keegan meltdown um, <laughs> when Newcastle were in a, a fantastic position uh, and what an unbelievable thing that would have been for them to, to win the Premier League um, and the, the nerves just, just completely eroded everything that they were going for and uh, it, it didn't end as they wished. Uh, another one in a similar kind of era, um, Manchester United were quite comfortable in 98, it was Arsene Wenger's first full season. I think there was 12-point advantage when Arsenal went to Old Trafford in the spring and, and Mark Obermars got the only goal of the game. And I remember being at the game and, and the reaction of even the journalists. It was still a long way to go, mind, but you could just sense that everybody knew. You could sense the Arsenal players and contingent knew they were going to win the league. The Man United contingent seemed to know it as well. And uh, so it went to nine points and Arsenal had a game in hand at the, at the time, which they won. But what was significant is they went on a, I think it was a 10 or 12 match winning run to win the title. And it's once you get into that momentum at the tail end of a season, that can be the decisive thing that propels a team towards the title. I want to mention um, Blackburn season, especially when you look at it now, Blackburn winning the Premier League. It just uh, seems a bit feels a bit wrong, doesn't it, now, all these years having passed since that 94-95 uh, season. But at the time, um, they'd been promoted, what, 91-92, I think, and they'd finished fourth and then runners-up. And then the next season, they'd done it. And it was that uh, strike force, that kind of SAS, Shearer and uh, Sutton strike force that did it. But really, to be promoted and then um, sort of three seasons later to win the Premier League uh, was, I think, quite a feat. And also... A shame where Blackburn sit now and everything that's sort of happened since magnifies um, how uh, a title winner one year within five years, within 10 years um, can be something quite, quite different. Last season as well, you know, you've got to remember City only spent 15 days at the top of the table, yet still won it. And we can also equate that to women's football as well. Last season, Liverpool um, 
held on to the title. They'd won it the season before. They did so last season quite by fluke. It was Chelsea's the whole way through the season. And uh, through a fortunate run of results uh, on the very last day, Liverpool walked away with the title. I think Chelsea are going to have, and Arsenal are going to have something to say for that this WSL season. We'll hear from the players in just a moment. But Hayley, pick out uh, a campaign that uh, provoked a bit of a bit of a surprise charge to the title. Okay. Well, I actually just want to mention the championship in there when I was looking at Derby quite some time mm-hmm. ago, a few months thinking, oh, they've got it pretty much wrapped up. They're looking so strong. So yeah. There've been so many changes at the top of the championship. That's been very exciting. When I took my few weeks off to go to Thailand and came back and seen how it changed, having not really followed football, I nearly fell off my chair when I found out what was going on there. <laughs> well, mine isn't a team who fell away at the last hurdles. It was just the excitement of La Liga last year. It was the yes. first time I'd properly really got stuck into following a season. I'd watched a few games early on was really excited about Gareth Bale playing out of there and was really kind of feeling for him when he got all that criticism at the beginning of the season and um just how that worked out in the end. And there was this one particular uh, match week, the three title contenders picked up just five points from a possible 21. Real Madrid completely collapsed. You thought they were charging back up there. Of course, they played Atletico Madrid in the Champions League final and won there. But I think... Atletico and Real Madrid and the rivalry that's been sparked yet again and they've drawn each other again in the Champions League I'm like oh for God's sake not these two again (laughs) and then Barcelona of course just popping back up in there and I quite like the fact that it wasn't just Barca and Real Madrid that Atletico were kind of up there really battling and you had this team that at the beginning of the season weren't even up there as title contenders but I think for Diego Simeone and the way that his team just played and carried on kind of went under the radar for the first few months whilst Real Madrid were kind of finding their feet there were problems off the pitch as well and Barcelona you just thought oh there's nothing going to stop this Barcelona side but just the real excitement that you know that was there last season Thank you very much. So some good examples there. Let's take a break now and hear from some of the stars of the WSL as we enter into a new season. Some new arrivals at Manchester City before the season began. Lucy Bronze and Natasha Harding. So let's hear from both players. First up, Tasha Harding talks about her aims for the season and uh, what led her to join Manchester City. And then you'll hear from Lucy Bronze on life at her new club. I want to win the league and I think I speak on behalf of the majority of the girls and most of the players in the, you know, in the league if they, they want to win the league that's what they hear I think with Mark Allen and Nick Cushion they're very honest in their views and you know in their vision and what they want to do and I want to just be a part of that and I want to win things and I think we're building a great team and we're not just building for now and yeah we have added some great additions to the, squ- to the squad and it'd be, you know the next two or three years I think it'll just be even bigger and better and I think you know we've got a good core and a good valued team and I think we'll only get better uh, you know, well, City's a new club for me, but just building on what they did last year. Obviously, they won the Continental Cup. It'd be nice to to regain that or to win another trophy, whether that's the the FA Cup or the the league. But obviously, we want to push for the league as much as possible, and that's kind of our aspirations to just win as much as we can. It's been an easy transition, to be honest. I know a lot of the girls anyway, and. There's, there's not many that I didn't really know beforehand and I've, I've already played at England, previous clubs and whatnot with a lot of the girls. You know, I'm living with someone who I grew up with, Demi Stokes, so I've known her for a long time. You know, it's not like a different country, so I, I can still speak the language. So, yeah, it's been fine and uh, it's a lovely, lovely place, Manchester, and the facilities that we have at the club are unbelievable. Like, if anything, it takes a little bit getting used to how privileged we are at Man City and I think... All the girls realise that and we don't take that for granted one bit. And it's a really nice environment to train and to get better. 
check out exclusive football content daily on OffsideRulePodcast.com. And there'll be more from uh, some WSL players a little bit later on in the podcast. First of all, moments of madness. We've mentioned Gerard, haven't we, with uh, the adrenaline coursing through his veins. And all we can say about that really is at least he's a normal bloke, you know. He isn't some conditioned young starlet who's been uh, taught to uh, play devoid of, um, of uh, emotion uh, so that his uh, manager and his team doesn't, doesn't have to suffer uh, red cards and so that the team doesn't have to uh, suffer from discipline problems. You know, he's a real bloke. And, and as Amy mentioned earlier, we've We've seen it time and time again, whether it's uh, his face after a slip up against Chelsea or even scoring an own goal again against Chelsea in an important cup final. It happens. So I'd like some moments of madness. Now, you can interpret this any way you like. It could be that you've both endured or had to put up with your own moments of madness. It could just be standout moments in football for you that still leave you aghast, still leave you perplexed. Hayley, I'm going to head over to you on this one. OK, this particular one made headlines. A pub footballer head-butted his friend, who was an opponent in another pub team of the same village, but it actually fractured his skull. It was all supposed to be a bit of friendly banter. He went in to head-butt him with a bit of a smile on his face, a bit of a Glasgow kiss, and it didn't quite work out. Um, yeah, it was the, the railway in Brimbo, um, and uh, they, were, they were heading for the title of the uh, inter-village contest, and actually, unfortunately, ended up going to court, and he um, admitted assault and uh, got a 30-week prison sentence, suspended for 12 months, and it was all supposed to be a bit of a jest. This guy was his friend and played in the next village along as well, so that didn't go down too well. Do you remember as well a bit of a moment of madness, the son of um, West Ham owner David Sullivan, who took to Twitter to basically slag off the team and slag off players in particular. And the, Kevin Nolan got in touch with him and was threatening to have a bit of a go. Yeah, the club captain, he, after the, um, they played uh, Everton and they drew in the FA Cup, he, he took to his Twitter to basically slate the players. Amy? Only one place for me to go with this, and that's Zinedine Zidane. I was in the stadium when yes. he did that. And I was... I, I, actually, I was quite devastated because I really loved Zidane as a player. I watched a lot of Zidane. I followed his career from when he was even a, a youngster of Bordeaux and they won the Intertoto Cup. Remember the Intertoto yeah. Cup? Which qualified them for the next season's UEFA Cup and this kind of wild card entry. They went all the way to the final where they lost to Bayern Munich and that was really where people started to take notice of Zidane. Of course, he then moved on from there, went to Juventus and became um, even more of a, a, of a major player for the national team. And I covered the French at the 98 World Cup. And then again in 2000, which was, I think, when Zidane was at his absolute peak. And again, when they blew it in 2002 at the, at the World Cup in South Korea and Japan. So I was quite, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd seen a lot of Zidane's games, particularly for France, through following them um, professionally. And there he was. And even his comeback, he'd retired from international football. Mm. Uh, about a year or so before then, and France had been doing so badly when he gave up that he he had to come back. Well, he decided to come back. And it was a second coming of, you know, the, the great legend of of French football, and he was phenomenally brilliant in that mm. World Cup and played a huge part in them getting back to the final when they played Italy, and he scored a penalty in the final in normal time and it was all written it was written for his last game in professional football he was retiring at the final whistle of that world cup final you know was was the was the le president of, of french football going to lift the world cup again and then this all of a sudden head bowed red card he's walking off and he's walking right past the trophy 
There's an amazing photograph of him, head bowed, inches away from the trophy on his way back to the uh, back to the dressing room. So yeah, that that I don't think there's any much more dramatic moments of madness than that. There's been a few recent moments of madness. What about these referees keep sending off the wrong players? What on earth's going on there? Neil Swarbrick, the latest one to send off um, Gareth McCauley rather than Craig Dawson. That although that that's been corrected now, of course, in in uh, terms of the red card. Um, Thierry Henry against Ireland in 2009, the handball moment of madness. Um, what about the moment of madness that's, uh, in fact, one of the longest running moments of madness? And it's not even 2022 yet. The fact that Qatar's hosting the World Cup, that one's going to keep spinning on. And then recently, loads of FA charges for teams failing to control their players. If it's not Fulham, it's Hull against Leicester. Uh, it seems to be, and it's obviously because we're at that, that end of the season as well, but there seems to be... Um, some quite high emotions going on in the league at the moment. Talking of emotions, another moment of madness that stays in my mind was Paolo Di Canio uh, pushing the referee yes. uh, when he was with Sheffield Wednesday and that was uh, an eye-opener, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see a few more moments of madness. Before we say our goodbyes, Chelsea ladies, they came so close to clinching the title last season. Let's hear it from their goalkeeper, Marie Hurahan, on her targets for this forthcoming season and also how the Chelsea ladies team integrate into the entire Chelsea setup. I think, obviously, um, from the disappointment last season of uh, losing out on the final day of the season, um, our target, obviously, is to go one better this year with the league. Um, but ultimately, um, to win some sort of silverware as a club, um, it's the, the direction that Chelsea we want to be going towards is, is putting silverware on the table. So I think that's that's our main objective this season. And personally, um, stay injury-free, obviously, because I'm injured on the last day of the season, um, and try and contribute to that of putting the trophy on the table. We've all gone full-time this year um, for the first time in the club's history, uh, which is a massive achievement. So having 20 players on the training pitch every day um, has had a massive impact um, in terms of obviously like fitness levels and organisation. So we feel uh, fully prepared and quite confident going into the start of the season. John Terry is a very big advocate of the women's game. Um, he often comes down... Um, so he's, he's seen us a couple of times in pre-season so there is that link and there is that liaison between the two so you know it's very much you know obviously they've got they're very uh, under intense pressure and scrutiny but you know still they always ask how we're getting on and things like that which is nice you know it just makes you feel like you say one community in one club. Thanks to Marie. Now let's hear from a couple of Arsenal players. Arsenal really looking to build on the momentum from the second half of last season. We all know uh, that the beginning of last season didn't get off to a great start at all for the team. So hoping very much to uh, have another successful campaign. Uh, We'll hear from goalkeeper Siobhan Chamberlain. um, Her targets after battling injury for much of last season. And then she also goes on to talk about how important fans of the game are. And then we'll hear from friend of the podcast Alex Scott on the future of the women's game. Personally, I, I want to be playing. I think that's a, a massive target. I need to play more than I did last season. And then, obviously, we've got the World Cup, so that's obviously a big, a big target of mine as well to, mm-hmm. to first of all get selected and then do everything in my power to, to be able to play. That's obviously everyone's ambition. Um, as a team, we want to improve on how we did last season. I think everyone knows that. Arsenal have very high standards and, and finishing fourth wasn't acceptable for us last season I think we did well to turn it around after, after a poor start but we'll be looking to build on that, that this year and, and have a lot more success
The number of fans is increasing. I think that's something that we need to look to improve on because with all of the um, awareness that's been in- improved and increased through the, through the increased media coverage, I think we need to make sure we've got people coming to watch the games. And a lot of the feedback that we get that when people do come and watch matches, they enjoy it and they love it and they come back again. But it's making sure we get the people through the doors first off to then enjoy it and then, then make sure they stay. Every year you see the progress the women's game's making. You know, I feel like every year I'm saying, oh, this is going to be the most competitive season yet. And I think that's down to the interest shown from international players coming to, into the league. I think the work BT Sport are doing, showing live games. You know, the BBC is showing live games. There's more coverage in newspapers. And I think it's making the women's game more accessible to people that never knew about it before. And I think that's what we need more of. And that's what we're seeing year in, year out, the improvement in that sort of area. And it's big, you know, women's game does need a lot of from the commercial side to get people on board the sponsors on board but it's growing every year I feel like there's definitely an appetite for women's football which obviously showed at the Wembley game to get that stronger crowd in and I think having the women's FA Cup final this year at Wembley that's a big incentive to draw in another big crowd and I think it does have a knock-on effect because when you look at when we went and played USA you know we've got like 15,000 on a Friday night at Milton Keynes so it shows there's an appetite there if you market it the right way you know players female players are accessible social media that helps a lot but no yeah it's going in the right direction and that's all we can hope for Watch videos and hit subscribe to our YouTube channel, Offside Rule TV. Great to hear from those WSL players and thank you very much to Jadeep Vaidya who went to the WSL launch to gather that audio for us. Amy, it's been brilliant having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. And I must say congratulations on your book, The Invincible. It's doing fantastically well and you've received several plaudits for that as well. Hayley, it's been great to have you on again today. All I can say is from one Liverpool fan to a Manchester United fan, I'm still slightly seething at what you do to my favourite player. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we shall, uh, we shall see how the end of the season charge goes, shall we? Perhaps we should put a, put a wee wager on this. You're not finishing any higher than United. That's just ludicrous. <laughs> two games can make a lot of difference. It takes two more games for things to go downhill. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, don't forget, if you're listening to the podcast, you can do so via Audio Boom. Uh, you can download us via iTunes. You can catch us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod, where you'll get daily hourly updates on uh, what's going on in the world of football, as well as what's going on uh, with our website, OffsideRulePodcast.com. Plenty of great content there. At least five or six new pieces of content a day, whether it's the Offside Daily, our regular roundup of the bizarre football stories of the day, our ref review or our team of the week. There's loads of great stuff there. Um, you can also pop over to Facebook and give us a like, The Offside Rule. Thank you very much, Amy, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. And thanks, Hayley McQueen. We'll see you next week. We'll see you then. Bye. Listen to The Offside Rule, we get it on Audio Boo, iTunes and via our website. OffsideRulePodcast.com Sports Social Podcast Network.